This morning, God's Word comes to us from Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3, and we are going to read just the first 14 verses of this chapter. Colossians 3, beginning at verse 1, what we hear now is God's Word. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears... Then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now... You must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator." Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. I invite you to turn to the back of your Trinity Psalter hymnal to page 866 in the back section. Page 866, this morning we are going to read once again Article 29 in the Belgic Confession. Reading from page 866, Article 29, entitled, The Marks of the True Church. We believe that we ought to discern diligently and very carefully by the word of God what is the true church. For all sects in the world today claim for themselves the name of the church. We are not speaking here of the company of hypocrites who are mixed among the good in the church and who nonetheless are not part of it, even though they are physically there, But we are speaking of distinguishing the body and fellowship of the true church from all sects that call themselves the church. The true church can be recognized if it has the following marks. The church engages in the pure preaching of the gospel. 
It makes use of the proper administration of the sacraments as Christ instituted them. It practices church discipline for correcting faults. In short, it governs itself according to the pure word of God, rejecting all things contrary to it and holding Jesus Christ as the only head. By these marks, one can be assured of recognizing the true church, and one ought not be separated from it. And this next paragraph will be our focus for this morning. As for those who are of the church, we can recognize them by the distinguishing marks of Christians, namely by faith, and by their fleeing from sin and pursuing righteousness once they have received the one and only Savior, Jesus Christ. They love the true God and their neighbors without turning to the right or the left, and they crucify the flesh and its works. Though great weakness remains in them, they fight against it by the Spirit all the days of their lives, appealing constantly to the blood, suffering, death, and obedience of the Lord Jesus, in whom they have forgiveness of their sins through faith in him. As for the false church, it assigns more authority to itself and its ordinances than to the word of God. It does not want to subject itself to the yoke of Christ. It does not administer the sacraments as Christ commanded in his word. It rather adds to them or subtracts from them as it pleases. It bases itself on men more than on Jesus Christ. It persecutes those who live holy lives according to the word of God and who rebuke it for its faults, greed, and idolatry. These two churches are easily recognized and thus to distinguish from each other. This is our confession of faith. Well, last week we looked at Article 29 of the Belgic Confession, one of the doctrinal standards of our church, uh, in terms of the marks of the true church. And we talked about looking for a true church, uh, not just looking for a good church. You can define good in a whole bunch of ways, but where is the true church? What are the marks of the true church? And we said that there were three marks of the church. The preaching of the gospel, the administration of the sacraments, and church discipline toward repentance. And our focus last time was on that first one, on the preaching of the gospel. For the other two flow from that. Our confession says everything is ordered in the true church by the word of God. Last week was about looking for a true church. But Belgian Confession 29 also talks about what does it mean to be a member of that church? What distinguishes those who are true Christians? Again, from our confession, as for those who are of the church, we can recognize them by the distinguishing marks of Christians. If you are a true believer, if you are a true Christian, there are, there are some things we can look at, some things we can see in your life. And again, kind of a, on parallel to last week, we're not talking about looking for good people. There, there, there are friends we have. 
that we say, these are good people, neighbors we have that are good neighbors, but perhaps are unbelievers. We're not talking about people who are externally able to show some type of goodness. We're talking about not looking for good people, looking for true believers, true Christians. And what are the marks that we look for for those who truly belong to the true church? Again, our confession, they are distinguished by the marks of Christians, namely by faith. Faith is the fundamental and determining mark if someone is a true Christian. Somewhat like last week in parallel, we talked about preaching being the fundamental mark and the others flow from it. The rest of the things we're going to say flow from the fact that we have true faith in Jesus Christ. The fundamental distinguishing mark of a Christian that we have placed our faith in Jesus, that faith which embraces Him as Lord and Savior. We talked a number of weeks ago about the fact that, that faith has an instrumental character. Faith is that which appropriates the blessings of salvation. To be technical, we are not saved by faith. We are saved through faith. We are saved by Jesus Christ. We are saved by His finished work on the cross. We are saved by His righteous life. But we embrace that and we make it our own through the instrument of faith. That faith which is, which is a gift of God given to us that we may appropriate Christ and all of his blessings. That faith which is fundamental, which is necessary for us. In Hebrews chapter 11 we read, without faith it is impossible to please God. Not just as difficult, it is impossible to please God without faith. Paul says in verse 1, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. And the way that, uh, that Paul structures this sentence to, to expand, he says, if you've been raised with Christ, and you have, maybe a better translation, since you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Seek Christ. Seek fellowship with Him. Seek to know Him more fully. And he goes on to say in verse 2, set your minds on things that are above. Some translations kind of make a parody here in verse 1. They talk about setting our hearts on things above and setting our, in verse 2, setting our minds on things above. Placing our faith fully and completely in Jesus Christ, heart and mind. Having a heart that loves the Lord. Having a heart that loves Christ. Now, our, our, our faith is, is more than just a warm feeling about me and Jesus, but it should be a warm feeling about me and Jesus. A heartfelt faith. Set your minds on things above. Our faith is more than a thorough knowledge of the Word of God. It is more than knowing the teachings and doctrines of the church. It should be that, but it's more. It is this heart and mind desiring 
Christ above all else. Placing that type of faith in Him. A true devotion to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Paul says in verse 3, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ. Your life is hidden with Christ. By faith we embrace Jesus Christ and our life is hidden with Him. Faith, true faith, is fundamental. It is the determining character of one who is a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I I say to you this morning, if you do not have that faith, if you have not placed your trust in Jesus Christ, and the rest of this sermon is really beside the point, it's, it, it, it's for those who have placed their trust there. If you have not trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord, as your Savior, embraced Him by faith, and this morning He calls you. He calls you through His Word and by the power of His Spirit to know Him with heart and soul and mind and strength to know him as your Lord, as your Savior, and and become one of those who are true believers, true Christians seeking to worship in a true church. Faith is fundamental. But that faith will express itself in the way that we live. And our confession talks about that says that we can recognize the true uh, Christians distinguishing the mark, by, namely by faith, and by their fleeing from sin and pursuing righteousness, once they have received the one and only Savior, Jesus Christ, they love the true God and their neighbors. There are three distinguishing marks of believers after they have faith that should be recognized in the way they live. They flee from sin, they pursue righteousness, and they love God and their neighbor. The three marks of a true Christian, one who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ, now expresses itself in the way that we live. They flee from sin. Paul says in verse 5, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these two, you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath. Malice, slander, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with his practices. Putting off the old self, crucifying the earthly, fleshly nature. And Paul, in this section, highlights two particular areas in our life that we are to put off, that we are to flee from. He talks in verse 5 about sexual immorality, and he talks in verse 8 about anger 
and its accompanying vices. Sexual immorality and anger. And it seems that so much of our sin can be subsumed under these two main headings. Flee, put off sexual immorality. How many times hasn't sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, hurt, and even brought down Christian marriages? How many times hasn't sexual immorality, impurity, broken relationships, hearts that are consumed by evil desires? Paul says, put these to death. Put this type of sin in your life to death. Now, how do we put something to death, kids? Well, there's a couple different ways to put things to death. One way, one way to put things to death is by not feeding it. If you don't feed something, it will die. Our family uh, learned that lesson a number of years ago when the kids were still little. Uh, we had uh, a couple of goldfish. Uh, and uh, one summer, uh, we decided to go on a vacation. And we took a, a two-week vacation and forgot to make allowance for the goldfish. They were not fed. And so when we got home, uh, let's put this delicately, uh, the goldfish were floating upside down. Uh, they had died. We didn't feed them, and they died. That is what must happen to our sin. Don't feed sexual immorality. And we live in a culture that is bombarded with sexual immorality and sexual images. And so we have to be so careful not to feed that in our lives. Not to feed that by the books that we read. Not to feed that by the television shows or movies that we watch. Not to feed that with our access to pornography on the internet. We live in a wonderful age where we can access almost anything. And there's many, many good things out there. But there is also evil. And there is immorality. Don't feed the sexual desire. Starve it. Kill it. That's what Paul talks about. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Don't feed the sin. He says in verse 8, talking about anger and its accompanying sins. Now you must put these all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. An anger that that lives inside of us, a malice that lives inside of us, and at times will boil up in slander, in harsh talk from our lips. Paul says, put that to death. Put it away. An anger inside that expresses itself in, in unedifying language. Language that tears down rather than builds up. Put this to death. And he says in verse 9, And do not lie to one another, seeing you have put off the old self with its practices. Do not lie. God is a God of truth. 
God is a God of light. God is a God of purity. Do not lie to one another. Flee earthly ways. Crucify the flesh. Put off the old self. That's, that's, that's the first mark of being a true Christian. Knowing the faith of Jesus Christ and now living that faith out. Fleeing from sin. We are to pursue righteousness. And Paul says this in verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. Putting off sin and putting on righteousness. And, and, and both of these need to take place at the same time. It's not as if we have to put off all the sin in our life before we pursue righteousness. No, as we put off the old man, we take on the new man. Both happen at the same time. And both are necessary. Jesus tells a story in the book of Luke about a man who uh, had a demon, and that demon was cast out of him, and that demon roamed around the earth and then came back and saw the man, and nothing had replaced where he was, so he came back with some of his demon friends, and the last state of the man was worse than the first. The old was out, but nothing replaced it. As we die to sin, we must live to righteousness pursuing the things of God, pursuing His ways. Paul says, put these things on. Compassionate hearts, kindness. Our actions toward others. Not, not malice, not anger, not harsh words. Compassionate hearts. Kindness toward one another. How we act toward each other how we react toward each other. He says, put on humility, meekness, and patience. Don't be quick to take offense. Humility, meekness, patience, even if necessary, to be wronged for the sake of Christ. This is to put on righteousness pursuing the ways of God. And Paul says in verse 13, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Forgiveness is the mark of a true Christian the willingness to forgive others. To forgive others as we have been forgiven. Now I had the privilege about a week or so ago of going to Ontario Christian and doing chapel uh, for the, the, the lower grades there. And we talked about forgiveness. If you kids were there, you might remember the three promises in forgiveness. When we say, I will forgive you, we say, I will never bring this up to you. 
I will never bring it up to anyone else. And as God gives me strength, I won't bring it up in my own head and my own heart. Remember, kids, we talked about that. The three promises in forgiveness. Because that's how God forgives us. God has forgiven us that way. And so that's how we are to forgive each other. I talked to the kids about what's the, what's the one thing God forgets. God remembers everything. What's the one thing God forgets? He forgets forgiven sin. God says, I will remember your sin no more. That's how God forgives us. Forgetting our sin, not holding our sin against us, not bringing our sin up to us again and again. We are to forgive as God forgave us, pursuing righteousness, pursuing peace with our brothers and sisters, being willing to forgive others. This is the mark of the true Christian. Putting off unrighteousness, pursuing that which is righteous, and finally, loving the true God and our neighbor. Paul says in verse 14, And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together, in perfect unity. Above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect unity. And when he says binds everything together, he's not just talking about these previous virtues. He's talking about people being bound together. Uh, Another translation might be, over all these, put on love which is the bond of perfection. The bond of perfection between you. A desire to live as the people of God. First of all, giving love to God, making Him the most important part of our life, loving God with heart and soul and mind and strength, and as a consequence of that, loving our neighbor as ourself. Love is the mark of the true Christian. A love for God a love for the things of God, a love for His Word, a love for worship, a love for His people, loving God and loving those around us. This is the call to be a true Christian, rejecting that which is earthly, pursuing that which is righteous, and loving God and our neighbor. When I hear that, definition of a true Christian and I am honest with myself I say that is not the man I see in the mirror that's not what I see when I look at my life and that reality brings me to my knees once again we We can only pursue this, pursuing, putting off the old man, putting on the new man, loving God our neighbor. We only pursue this when God is at work in us. And our confession talks about that too. After giving the marks of a true Christian, it says, though great weakness remains in them, they fight against it by the Spirit all the days of their lives. We're not looking for perfect Christians. 
because that's not going to happen this side of glory. We are looking for true Christians, those who desire, who seek to put off the old self, to put on the new self, to recognize the work of God in them. Left to ourselves, we could never do this. But God gives us the gift of His Holy Spirit who works in our hearts, in our lives, that we have a greater desire to pursue these things. And when we fall short, our confession says, appealing constantly to the blood, suffering, death, and obedience of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whom they have forgiveness of their sins through faith in Him. When we fall short, we ask God once again to forgive us. To forgive us for not looking like that which we are through Jesus Christ and by the power of the Spirit. For not looking like true Christians. God calls us once again this morning to pursue that type of life. The marks of a true Christian. Begins with faith begins with, by that gift of faith, embracing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And if you have not done that, don't worry about the rest. But if you have, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, that will affect how you live. You will flee from the earthly ways. You will flee sin. You will pursue righteousness. You will love God and love your neighbor, recognizing that this is a growing process in you. That God, by His Spirit, is at work in each and every one of His own. Oh, may God continue to work in the lives of His people, true Christians, that more and more we display the power of the Spirit in our lives as we love God, as we love his people. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, what a glorious, glorious thing it is to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, to have placed our faith and hope and trust in him. It frees us. It is new life for us. And Lord God, for those who know that, May that glorious freedom and reality live itself out in our own lives. Help us, O oh God, to put sin to death. It often seems so powerful and so strong, but help us to starve those sins, that they not take root in our lives. Help us, O oh God, to have a greater pursuit of righteousness and help us to show our love for you and our love for our neighbor as evidence of your work in our lives. When we fail, O oh God, forgive us, cleanse us, wash us, and give us a greater pursuit by the power of the Spirit to live for you. Hear our prayer, O oh God, for Jesus' sake. Amen.